friends, this is Morgan Snyder in the studio with Alan Arnold and Bart Hansen. And Bart, we were in some earlier conversation about podcasting, and you had suggested this topic around the category of contending with and moving through the idea of self-reproach and self-hatred. And it's one of those topics that we talk about very regularly. Right. It's kind of an everyday reality of something that we're contending with Mm -hmm. in our culture. But as I say it, we often don't see that as kind of normative of something that affects all people. Why did this topic present itself and what was it behind it that you felt like you wanted to bring? Yeah, Morgan, great question. I think even in a broader context, when you take the whole topic of hatred, that's been a pretty current thing with us here at Ransom Heart, just seeing that in a worldview, hatred going every which way. And and I was struck by Proverbs 10, 12. It said, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. And when you talk about hatred, I was just thinking about that. And, and that's really hatred in every direction. And I think that applies to self-hatred, that it stirs up discord and strife within our soul when we hate ourselves. So as I thought about that, I kind of went to the Proverbs and I found that scripture. And I said, yes, that's, that's very true, very descriptive. But I think what stirred me in this is I've gone way back into my life and just seen periods where I've had a lot of self-hatred around stories that I have shame. But I think currently it really has to do with, you know, my wife, Tana, as we've moved here to Colorado Springs, it was a difficult move for her. She's bounded with depression, and that depression has taken her back deep into her story where a lot of self-hatred had occurred in her life, and that, that has stirred up. And what it's done is it's just very corrosive. It's toxic to relationship with God, with our marriage, and with everything. So as I thought of this, that was kind of primary in in my thinking, but it goes in a lot of directions. And when you say self-reproach and self-hatred, Bart, when you named that at first in our conversation before the podcast, I was thinking, boy, that's, that's that must be something that Bart's struggling with, or that must be some isolated thing that a few people struggle with. But the more that we have talked about it and that I've thought about it since that early conversation internally, I'm realizing this is something we all have to contend against and be aware of. And so part of it today, I think, is just the power of naming what do we mean when we say this? Because if we don't define it well, then people listening might go, huh, that's interesting for people who may struggle with that. But it really is something on a heart level that we all have to be aware of, right? Yes, yes. I mean, just yesterday it occurred with me, I had a friend, I'll not uh, mention his name, but um, he actually said, hey, you can share the story if you like, but he's a fellow pilot. And he called me and um, right off, I I heard distress in his voice. Mm. And he says, uh, he said, Bart, he said, you're the second call I've made. First call was to my insurance company, but you're the second call. And he said, I just forgot to put my landing gear down when I landed my plane last night and I bellied my plane in. And he says, I just 
feel so much shame. And what it did is it brought up, and I think you guys remember my story of, of my airplane crash that was my fault. I went through the beta lock and, I, and it, it would crash the airplane and, and it just, it took me back to that moment of just hating myself in that moment of, you blew it. You blew it. And if I could just have that moment back, I sensed that in his voice and it brought me right back to that place of self-reproach when I got out of that airplane. And luckily we were good and the airplane was pretty much destroyed and I'm just so down on myself and I'm calling myself all kinds of names and just almost out of my mind with this self-hatred. So it's a very powerful thing. And uh, just that story just brought that to the surface again. And and so it, it was helpful because I was able to share with him, you know, and I, and I felt like I've kind of moved on from that. Yes. But it came back very quickly. Bart, I'm curious. I, boy, I remember when that went down in your life and you brought that to our team oh, and yeah. we had to pray and process through it. It took was, me three days to make the call. Yes. As you, as you might yes. remember. And, and looking back, it was a watershed moment in yes. your, in your faith journey. I'm curious considering your friend and this new incident and what it raised in you, going back in time as it relates to self-hatred, that plane crash revealed something. And my questions to you in that for our conversation here with Alan is, what would you say the impact was of self-hatred? In other words, what would you say the fruit was in your life of living under it, though you didn't know it was operating until you had a moment. And then secondly, I'm curious what you'd say of, you said you moved on. I think that's that's a pretty simple phrase for some deep soul right, work. Right. What did you do to contend with the self-hatred and dismantle it and get freedom from it yes. and restoration once it was exposed? Yeah. And this is a deep subject and I think we can take this apart, but just to answer your question, Morgan, um, for self-forgiveness, and that can only come out of what the true gospel offers, which God loves us and he forgives us of everything. And until we can grasp that and receive his love, I think we're going to be stuck and be in the enemy's crosshairs of always being this self-reproach. I could have done it better. Why didn't I do this? Living all this regret living in, in, why didn't I do this? And it just spirals us down. But until we can receive the Father's love and His forgiveness of what we do, we can never forgive ourselves. So for people that are hearing this conversation but trying to figure out in their own life, do I have this or what does it look like for me on a daily basis? What are some telltale signs when this is coming on? in Morgan, your life or Bart, yours? Like, when do you start to sense, wow, this is happening? Whether it's in marriage or in a, a group of us guys talking, how does it appear oftentimes? What's the first signs of it? Alan, it's an interesting question because I think for me, over the years, one of the fascinating indicators of the presence of self-hatred in my life has become how I treat other people. You know, it's fascinating. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, right, which we 
all know, we've all Mm -hmm. heard it, love God with all your heart. And then he goes on to say the second great, great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. And there's different translations of that, but one of the ones that really helps me is in the Passion where it says, you must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. And one of the things we talk about at Ransom Heart is we treat others how we treat our own heart. Right. Mm-hmm. How we act towards others is actually a manifestation of how we act towards ourselves. And so we can try to be forgiving, try to be gracious, but actually when I find myself short with other people, frustrated with other people, judging and having a critical spirit towards other people or striving. Or striving, <laughs> yes. right? That's that's well said, Bart. I've come to understand Often, it's a boomerang, as Jesus says. It's actually how I'm treating myself. It's actually revealing that it's frustration with myself, anger towards myself, bitterness towards myself, all kind of with this seed of shame. And as I become aware of it, and Bart, as you said, begin to invite the love of God into that particular place to receive his love and to receive his forgiveness, receive his compassion. It's only there that I find the natural outpouring of compassion towards other people, mercy towards other people. So that's one of the biggest indicators for me is how am I relating to other people? That's really good because you can see it by maybe the face of a friend or a spouse or a child quicker than you can identify it you can, before you can even put words to it maybe for yourself yes i know that happens to me sometimes i will respond and i'll be in a not good place because of what's going on under the hood yes and i'll say something that i don't think is that hurtful or big of a deal and the whole room will go quiet at home and kelly will look at me like some you need to something's going on you need to take care of this because in my mind, I'm just being me and I'm just saying a casual comment. But like you're saying, Morgan, you can see I can see the effect of I'm so frustrated and I'm diminishing myself internally so much. It becomes easier to say something that has that effect on other people. Yes. Yes. I uh, and, you know, it can happen um, in the big things in life, in the in, in the the major stories of our life. You know, I carried the guilt of my father's death for 10 years. And, um, you know, when when I found him dead in in my bedroom the uh, the day after we had this big fight, and I carried that for 10 years until uh, God brought some clarity to the story that that released me of that guilt. And um, during those 10 years, I was an angry young man. I was at 19 years old. And I got in fights. I got in. Um, I I, uh, I I just did a lot of things that I regretted, but a lot of it was I just didn't like myself because I felt I was unforgivable, that I was living in an, um, a place where of, of of darkness, and I, I I just couldn't receive God or anybody or anything. And uh, and then it's in the little things. I mean, even today, um, I, I mean, today, just like in the present time that we live in, you know, I um, I sometimes have so much self-reproach on my body, my appearance, 
You know, I'll wake up in the morning, I'll say, why did I have that dessert last night when we went out to eat? You know, I I know I have self-restraint, and I'm trying to, mm-hmm. I'm trying to live within that self-restraint. And there's this, those moments of self-reproach early in the morning, go, why did I do that? Why mm-hmm. did I do that? So it, it's just it's just something that I, I I I move in and out of, and I don't think I've fully recovered from all of it. But I think God is teaching me story by story, incident by incident, to take it to Him and to release it there. But there's just all new episodes that keep yes. coming at me. One of the things that surfaces in me as we talk about this, um, this question of what is the impact of self-hatred? What is the ultimate effect? And one of the core impacts that I notice is it has a way of actually like blocking the movement of God in our life and therefore the movement of God through us. Bart, as you're sharing, you know, a story comes to mind where this category really was coming to light for me. Years ago, we were at a boot camp. I was struggling with illness, and we pulled together with our team and the intercessors, and and we were praying for me. And it's always vulnerable to ask for prayer. You don't want to be the man down. I think I remember this story, yeah. And so then as we're praying, we get in some listening prayer, and someone said, I think that there's an agreement in there. And I think you're making an agreement with some lie or vow. And I said, okay, I'm totally open to that. Um, I don't know what it is, and I was trying to listen to God and trying to get to it. And someone on our team said, I think you're making an agreement with self-hatred. And I said, huh, that that's like a new phrase to me. Yes. I didn't really think about right. that. And I'm open to it, but then that person said, well, do you have any um, – what do you think about your body? So they kind of yes. took the indirect I approach. I said, yeah. oh, I hate my body. Right. I'm disgusted by my body. You know, when I look in the mirror, I can't stand my body. And and then whoever was on the team said, well, I think that's a sign of an agreement yeah. with self-hatred. Yeah. I went, oh, it was just a revelation. Yeah. And it was it. on that yeah. day that I, I didn't even fully understand it, but I chose to break an agreement with self-hatred. And accept God's acceptance of my body. And what's fascinating is what happened is the beginning of physical healing um, could take place. And my agreement with self-hatred was actually blocking the movement of God. And it's one poignant story to, to describe a process that's actually matured over time of it's taken a lot of slow and steady work to break the agreement of self-hatred, particularly against my body. Right. And I'm amazed at how much more God can do when he's given back that space in my soul. And so I'm very humbled at how much that blocks the movement of God and very hopeful that as we dismantle self-hatred, we will see fruits of God's work in our life in ways that perhaps we've never been able to receive before. Yes. Yeah. And, and so many times, I think the deceptive part of it is it comes in in a way we would never term self-hatred, like to your story. Yes. You wouldn't have identified self-hatred as something you were struggling with or under. And I think back in my own life, uh, when my parents divorced when I was younger, the most defining moment of my childhood from a memory standpoint was when my mom and dad called us into the family room. And she basically says, we're getting a divorce. Your dad hasn't done anything wrong. I'm just kind of ready to move on. 
And that wasn't the exact language, but that was the yes. gist of the hour. Uh-huh. And so I saw my father, in a sense, being dismissed. And something when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11, an agreement got made that, boy, he is the disposable one. He's because we stayed in the same house. Uh, he was just asked to leave and he moved into an apartment. And so that carried with me kind of underground. But in the last few years, I've dug into this belief that I'm the disposable one. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't maybe sound like self-hatred on the surface, but the effect of it would be I, I was with a group uh, at not a ransomed heart event, but an offsite event a few months ago. And I was talking to the guys and there was a gathering that night, just a loose gathering of 30, 40 guys. And it was a time to catch up, uh, no agenda, no presentation. And after about, I don't know, 15 minutes of what would be a few hours, I left and went to my room. And the next morning, some of the guys pushed in and said, hey, what, where were you? And I said, well, I, you know, I... I don't really think anybody missed me. Like, I don't think it was a big deal. And I, you know, I just felt like my presence wasn't all that important. And they were saying, Alan, actually, when you left, it kind of, the room went down a notch because your presence matters. Mm. And I had to push into what is it in me that not only feels like I'm disposable, not, not needed, not important. I'm the last guy anybody would notice if he left, snuck out the back door But if I went deeper, and when I did, it was kind of a a self-hatred of my own presence. Like, everybody else has more of a reason to be in the room or to be part of this than me. And so I think I'll do everybody a favor and just check out, just, just vanish. And I realized that actually is a form of self-hatred. It was just in a way that I hadn't named it before. And the effect of it was I wasn't not only bringing a strength to the group, I wasn't even bringing any, I was, I was not even present. Yeah. And it, and it caused me in an inverse way to think, gosh, people really don't care anyway. So the self-hatred it started to play out in how I viewed the other people in the room and myself. And the end result was an absence of any kind of joy our presence. Sure. It was just this isolation. Soul killing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Soul yeah. Killing. So yeah, self-hatred, uh, I just I just want to name it plays out in so yeah. many different ways. And Alan, just in that just in that example you you uh, you describe is that while it may, you know, some may say that they they can't see in this this real strong self-hatred, it's a toehold and it's a foothold with the enemy. And had you not undone that then it's set up for the next disappointment in your life of when you do something wrong and the enemy comes back and says, see, there you go. You're, you're, you're not worthy. You're not, you know, what, whatever it is, your presence isn't noticed, whatever that is. And that agreement just begins to creep in and get more profound and seem more true and more true. Oh, and that self-hatred right. just begins to build. It starts to feel so true because Another example of that is when I go see extended family, whether it's Kelly's or my own, yes. a lot of times there'll be late night, you know, we'll, we'll play cards or we'll have coffee and there'll be conversation. Well, in the earlier years of our marriage, if after about 30, 45 minutes, nobody was really talking to me or 
there, there was not a, an immediate connection and conversation, I would use the excuse of, hey, guys, I, I just want to go read. I'm kind of introverted. It's late. I'm going to go. I'm going to check out. And I would always be the first to leave. And I would put that under the heading of, well, I'm introverted. And boy, this is a lot of extroverted people talking and laughing. And I can only, after about an hour, my cup is full. But the reality was I didn't feel seen Mm -hmm. and I felt disposable and I hated that about myself. And so I, I then interpreted the situation as other people don't really need or want that presence. They won't care if I'm gone. So why be here? And so it always helps. There's always a story. And Bart, what you're naming is, I think when we go back into our story, for me, it started when I saw this thing happen with my dad when I was 11. It put the, it put the seed there. And then if I never examined that 40 years later, that can still be playing out Yes, in ways that until you actually name this topic, I wouldn't have called it self-hatred. I just would have said, yeah, I kind of, I feel disposable sometimes, but I'm introverted and, and some people just like to hang out with people longer than I do. Yeah. And I would have excused it and it would have allowed it mm-hmm. to continue. And like you say, continue. And the enemy has a stronghold then. Yes. Yeah. As I listen to your stories, I'm aware of uh, self-hatred does have such a power to diminish and to really stifle the strength um, that we can bring to situations. I would love to hear um, the opposite too, the alternative of having said that in your life, where is a example where you have seen the fruit of contending with self-hatred? So it's surfaced, you've dealt with it, and instead of making an agreement with it and allowing it to shape relationships or your experience or your impact, instead you've come through and you've said, nope, I, I, I simply will not live out of self-hatred, but you've recovered your strength and you've lived out of the fruit of being free from self-hatred. Let's share some stories with the listeners by way of hope, because this category is so hopeful. As we dismantle self-hatred, I believe that we're able to bring something that's really powerful and very opposed by evil. Well, I'm just on the story that I opened with about the shame that I had when I crashed my airplane. And, you know, like I said, it took me three days to call you guys to even admit that I'd done it. And then then when I came back, I think it was the love that I felt from you guys of, I think one of you said, hey, Bart, when you get back in, I'm ready to go flying with you. And I almost dismissed that mm-hmm. as 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 someone just throwing me a platitude in order to try to make me feel better but but I think all of you chimed in and said yeah yeah we're we want you to get back in the saddle we want you to do that again rather than I thought your reaction was going to be hey why don't you hang that flying deal up it's it's not what you should be doing i mean that's what my that's what i was bracing myself for is is that kind of thing but when i experienced your love and I think it was the love of God coming through you guys to me that began to open my heart to let this thing go and to begin to forgive myself and not to just crucify myself every moment when I returned to the, that time in the cockpit when I made that mistake. 
So it was the love. It was the love that disarmed that, the love of you guys that that started to do that. Another story is, I think I've shared a number of times about the chronic thing of Guillain-Barre that I had it. I got about 19 years ago, and that was caused, if I trace it all the way back, it was caused by making a lot of stupid decisions with unnecessary risk early in my life that I got hurt and, and I had a lot of uh, back injuries that, that manifested themselves into surgeries and then complications of surgeries and this syndrome came upon me and I, I have that. And there's been so many times I've just relived, why did I do that? And then you start to move in the, in the direction of self-reproach and self-hatred rather than embracing what is and asking God into that. And then he begins to say, well, let's just take, let's take account of your life and just see what, how many things that you have to be thankful for today rather than going back to the self-reproach of the mistakes that I made in the past. Morgan, I think it comes back to that first answer I gave you. It's under the context of beginning to receive the love of others yes. and the love of God that begins to disarm this self-hatred that yes. I've had with myself for so many years. Bart, as you share that, I'm enjoying thinking about your life over time and the honest impact of your life on mine in this category. Because when I met you, you've always been a good man. But when I first met you, one of the kind of characteristics was you were very hard on yourself, Mm -hmm. consistently hard on yourself. And as I look back, I was a very young man when I met you. And one of the fruits of that was I had a propensity to fuel the thing that makes me hard on myself when I was around you, going, well, man, Bart's my hero. He's a good man. I want to be like Bart. I found myself fueling that piece. And now over the years... The fruit of your life on mine is as I've seen you dismantle self-hatred and choose to replace that hardness towards your own heart with receiving forgiveness and receiving kindness towards yourself, Mm -hmm. the fruit of it is it allows me to also receive that kindness. Mm. It shows me more of what is the father really like. And so as you share those stories, I'm smiling because they're true. Yes. And they impact those closest to you. Yes. Yeah, and it it just comes back to the scripture that you read at the beginning of this, going to the second greatest commandment, love others as you love yourself. Yes. So you begin to... Get less hard on yourself, and 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 all of that. Just being unkind to yourself is takes a lot of undoing. Yes, because there's a lot of deep, deep agreements that are attached to that mm-hmm. that that we have to let go. Alan, how about you? Where do you see it playing out? What is the fruit? Yeah, the fruit for me is in the impact. It, it goes back, Morgan, to what you mentioned earlier, where you can see in others what's going on inside of you. And so for myself, uh, a recent example was Kelly and I were talking to one of our children about something. It was an issue that was not a huge issue, but it was it was becoming volatile in the moment in terms of acceleration in the conversation, frustration, mm-hmm. um, mis- felt like misunderstanding. 
And normally in those kind of situations, I would find myself wanting to gain control, wrap it up and fix it quickly. And, and part of that, I think, is because, you know, self-hatred, I, I really believe, is rooted in fear of some kind, fear that we're not enough, fear of that we lose control, fear that we'll be exposed, what it, whatever it may be. There's a fear base to self-hatred. And so I was able to walk into this situation after it had been going on for about 15 minutes. And instead of raising the chaos or the or the level of the conversation to actually be the calming agent and see my presence is not only making a difference, mm. not only that I'm not the disposable one, but I'm actually the one who's going to bring calm. And so in that conversation, I was able to say, hey, let's let's just pause a second. And I asked that particular uh, child, what's going on on a heart level? Because I see some, like you're starting to tear up a little bit when we talk about this, what's going on besides the immediate? And slowly it diffused the, the immediate frustration and tension into a, a real deep conversation about their identity and how they felt when certain things happened at school. And, and an hour later, there was laughter and there was calm. And that child hugged us and walked upstairs and Kelly was like, wow, that was amazing how your presence brought in this calm and untangled things, just not with a whole lot of words, but with your presence and with your your full attention to the heart. And I realized when I have the self-hatred going on that I'm not enough, that my purpose is just to quickly get a solution um, I'm not at my best, and, and I see it with those I love most. And when I can walk into it with a truer sense of who I am, because, again, like, what what is the fear driving the self-hatred? For me, it usually is you're not enough, and things are going to spiral out of control if you don't get a handle on it quickly. And what that leads to for me is this internal I hate that about myself. And when I exist from that place, it does start to feel true because I do try to rush to a solution real quick, even if it's bull in a china shop. Yes. But hey, it's resolved and there may not be any laughter around the house, but things are ordered and it's quiet and the outcome happened. And so lately, the journey for me has been, no, actually my presence is needed for, and I can bring calm and I can bring beauty and order and life back into the home, no matter what the situation is. That is a way for me. And when that happens, I look at myself and go, that's really the truer me. Like the, the self-hatred is a lie. Whatever whatever's being said is a lie. Yeah, that's been my journey into how do I see myself as God sees me and move against the lies of the enemy, which mm-hmm. is always, I believe, the root of self-hatred is that fear that the enemy whispers into your ear. Mm-hmm. So, Morgan, uh, play that question back to you that you just asked Alan, and how does that how does that play out in your life in this category? Yeah, I love hearing your stories. I think I relate to them um, very particularly, but I think another category that I see it playing out is as I become aware of self hatred operating 
and invite God to dismantle it. It not only makes more room for the movement of God, but it allows me to recover kind of the revelation of his heart for me that becomes a sort of fuel to contend with really tough circumstances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, An example, so in my parenting, we went through some hard times and some situations that didn't go so well. And I found myself praying in my daily prayer time, praying for my kids. And I could tell just the energy of my body was I was praying out of frustration. I was praying out of concern rather than out of confidence. And Alan, as you said, if I really drill deep, that concern and that frustration was anger turned inward. It was fear of I'm failing as a parent. It was um, shame of I'm not enough. Right. And and it was this was my prayer life. But as I prayed, I sunk in and one of the pieces of our daily prayers, I accept your acceptance of me. And so part of my daily prayer is to just sit in that place of God accepts me yes. as I am. That's good. And I must accept myself. The invitation is accept myself as God accepts me. Mm-hmm. And so in my prayer, I could feel the settling in of, I trust you, Father. I know who you are. I orient towards you. And then I asked them, like, what, what does he want to say? What, you know, and I open up hit my voice to his voice, my heart to his heart. And he said, I want you to celebrate. And you have to understand the energy that I'm feeling is failure. The energy right. I'm feeling is I'm, I'm lacking. The word celebration. And so here I was sitting. And so then I got curious. And anytime I find my posture in prayer, one of curiosity, rather than um, being directive, I know I'm on to some new frontier with God where he's excited. He's taking me into something new that's unfamiliar to me, but very essential for what's coming. And so here I was with a posture of curiosity. And I said, okay, God, what what is there to celebrate? And next thing you know, over time, he was showing me the victories in parenting, the the things that he's doing in the life of my kids that are going really well and places where I have offered strength and love and engagement, as you said, Alan, that's bringing fruit. And I could just feel my heart rising that it didn't discount the places that I lack, but I was receiving a fresh revelation of his true heart for me, mm-hmm. of his affection for me, of his view of my life. And as that prayer time closed, no circumstances changed, but I could feel a rising strength, a hopefulness, and I was ready to engage my world with confidence rather than with diminishment or fear or, or accusation turned inward. So one of the biggest places I would say dismantling self hatred is playing itself out is as I become aware of it and as I choose to break agreement with it, I'm receiving more and more of God's true heart for me and therefore my ability to love others through it. This conversation is very enlightening and it's revealing to me even more that God wants to do in my life in this category. feels like We'll need two podcasts to really cover what's on our hearts. So, friends, we're going to come to a close for this episode of the Ransom Heart Podcast. And we hope that you can join us next week for part two of this series with Bart and Alan and myself. Thanks for joining us.